Hello, everybody. Welcome to this convention prep episode of Beware the Board, a horror podcast where we watch a randomly selected horror movie every week. I'm Bob. And I'm Ben. Hi, Ben. Hey. We're back. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. You can tell how high energy Benjamin is right now. I'm tired. Dude, we're not recording in the middle of the morning anymore. It's like 2 p.m. As he proceeds to yawn, yeah. Okay. You tired old bitch. Yeah. (laughs) So this is true. Oh, my God. Well, how have you been? It's been, I don't know, less than a day since I've seen you. Yeah. We see each other a lot. Even if we're not at work together, it's like every other day I'm like, all right, well, Ben's coming over. We We got to record. (laughs) We have stuff to do. So it's always weird for me to ask, how have you been? Because I saw you probably less than 24 hours ago. Any life updates in that time? I think I'm more tired than when I last saw you. No fucking way. Yes. You were like, we can't record this today because I'll fall asleep during the movie. And now you're here and you're like, I'm more tired than before. So you're going to fall asleep during the movie, you old bitch? No. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I could have gotten you coffee. Yeah, I'm going to go get coffee after we're done doing this intro. God damn it. I wish... I should have just asked you to... I should have just asked if you wanted something. I didn't think about it. Yeah. It's okay. It's fine. I'm sorry. All right. How about you? Anything new? Oh, I finished Demon Slayer. It's real good. Nerd. It, well, okay, yeah, sure. But it's still really good. Like, Demon Slayer is pretty top. Finished the new season. It was nice. Well, I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, I watched it after we got done recording last night, and the episode was 50 minutes long, so I was passing out during Ooh. the episode. That's a long time. Well, it's the season finale, so they basically combined the last two episodes into one big one. I mean, fair, but that's also a long time. Yeah. It's almost a movie, in fact. After... Which... Eight hours of recording. <laughs> yeah. I went to eight hours. We, we spent about an hour and a half at that chicken place. We got fried chicken. It was so good. When we recorded. Yesterday, for anyone who hasn't figured this out. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to record this yesterday, but uh, then this went is, home. These convention episodes are really causing some some extra recording <laughs> sessions. Some mega extra recording <laughs> sessions. Oh, We did six last week. Yeah. How many are you doing this week? I don't know. I don't want to think about it. Monday... Well, well, this well, well it depends on what you mean by this week, like this upcoming week, because we have one coming up we'll only on Friday and then yeah. Saturday. Like we got four movies, I think, to record this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're pumping them out though. Like I, I was talking to Ben about this. We've been on a pretty hard and fast schedule. Like it's like, okay, we got to record this, 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 and this, and this has to be out by this day. So hard and fast, in fact, that we forgot something last <sighs> night. But I freaked out and texted Ben, and he got it to me pretty quick. So we fixed it. Yeah. And I don't think anyone noticed. And if they did notice, you know what I'm talking about. Sucks. <laughs> but yeah, we've just been it's we're working at a pretty breakneck pace to get all this shit out in time before the convention. And you can tell we're so excited about it. I actually am having a good time. Oh, it's fun, but it's it's, it's wearing exhausting. me down. Yeah, it's starting to get to where I'm like, God damn. You know what it is, Ben? We gotta stop making big commitments on the podcast. D- what? No. <laughs> no. Well, also, there's stuff that we missed that we're going to have to do later to make up for the stuff we missed because we were so busy, which you'll hear about that later. But Eventually. Yeah. Those will come out. We just Next year, they'll actually maybe come out on time. There's also the unreleased episode that's in our backlog that has been there since... Mm, Sometime in the past. February? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So maybe I'll edit that eventually. Okay, on that note, uh, today we're watching Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I know I don't sound excited, but it's a good movie, so this should be a good time. I'm excited to watch it. I was talking to, after you left yesterday, I was so pissed off. Not at you, but I was just like, God damn it. 
God damn it. Ben had to leave right before we were about to watch Night of the Living Dead. And I want to watch it so bad. I was talking to Cotton. And I was like, this sucks. I was so angry. I was like, I've never seen this film. And I want to watch it. Because apparently it's good. And look, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. We've been kind of lucky lately and been getting good movies on the show. Or at least fun movies on the show. Like, I'm having a good time watching these films. There's not been a film where I went, ooh, that's bad. We kind of hit a rough patch with Halloween. Because that was not fun. For Bob. For me. But we've been on a good stretch. The Crazies remake, Deathgasm, pretty sick. Hopefully this is good too. Yeah. I do want to mention though that like this is one of those films where it's been reviewed much better by a lot better people. So keep that in mind when we're reviewing it. Yeah. I'm not a professional. I just do this for fun. We're not professionals. But also, I'm sure we could do a better job reviewing if we sat down and watched this and then planned these out. But we're kind of doing it off the cuff. Yeah. So if you want some good discussions on this movie, you can find tons and tons and tons. Because this movie is very famous and very well known for a reason. Yeah. On that note, I guess we can get into it. It's from 1968. Damn. Okay. So that'll give you a kind of rough estimate of when this came out. Uh, description. Ready? Mm-hmm. They're back. They're back. Oh, they're back. Okay. Interesting. I see. From from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was like, hmm. I had to think about it for a second. I'm done. And I, I guess they're kind of back on this podcast, kind of, sort of. Yeah, because we, we watched, watched Return, Return, which is a spin-off sequel. It's on the timeline. It is on the timeline. Uh, length's an hour and 36 minutes long. Oh, thank God, a normal length movie. Well, that's almost an hour and 40. It's almost, it's al- but it's not. It's <laughs> almost. Almost. It's not rated. Oh, okay. I think that had, I, don't quote me on this, I think this movie's Older than the modern MPAA? Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know when the MPAA started. Review score. IMDb gave it a 7.8 out of 10. Tomato Meter gave it a 96%. Oh, that's really And high. an audience score of 87%. Yeah. I mean, I know we're watching a, a good movie going in because, like, tons of people talk about it. It's so ubiquitous in culture. Like, there are so many horror movies where because this is in, what, public domain, they'll just have Night of the Living Dead playing in the background. So I've already seen clips from the movie in the background of other movies we watch. Oh, yeah. It's in, like, everything solely because it's a uh, fun fact for later. It's in the common domain, Yeah, at least in the U.S. Uh, I'm not sure about other countries, but that does mean that, like, you could put it on in the background in a horror movie, like on the television for one yeah. of the characters to watch. It means we can use the footage from the movie for content. Yeah. Which I might do. I've been thinking about doing some TikTok stuff with this movie. Maybe. Depends on how good the outtakes are. We'll see. But, yeah. By the way, MPAA, 1922. So, I oh. was wrong there. Damn, they've been around a long time. Yeah. I, I was thinking there was something to do with the MPAA and why it has an NR rating. I can't remember what it is. Mm. Awards, it has seven. They're all after the fact, though. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, notable actors. Dwayne Jones as Ben. Played Dr. Hess in Ganja and Hess. Very good actor. Uh, he's mostly a stage guy, so he's only oh. done, like... A handful of movies. That's and this cool. This is one of them, which is always kind of not shocking, but is really noteworthy because he does such a good job in this one, and this movie's so famous. Anyways, uh, Judith Odia as Barbara. Uh, she was Emily Hamilton in October Moon Two, November Sun. You're not gonna know that film. Most of these actors are very, very small actors. Like they did this and maybe one or two things that were pretty small. Okay. That was about it. Carl Hardman as Harry Cooper. Uh, he was Bruce Brunswick in Santa Claus. Not Santa Claus. Santa Claus. 
C L A W S. Oh, like another, I assume a Santa themed horror movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Marilyn Eastman as Helen Cooper. She was Miss Quinn in Santa Claus. Uh, Keith Wayne as Tom. He's been in nothing else. Oh. Judith Ridley as Judy. Uh, she was Lynn Harris in There's Always Vanilla. And then Kyra Schoen as Karen Cooper. And apparently she played Judge Crea Brody in Green Man, which I couldn't find anything on that film. I've so that should tell you something. Okay. Director, George A. Romero. Nice. Uh, he's also directed Creep Show. I want to watch Creep Show. Not the TV show. Yeah, fucker. I saw like a poster. Fuck you. For, I didn't know what Creep Show was. I just assumed it was. The oh, same do you thing. not know what it is at all? No. Oh, it's it's one of those old uh, comic books, like horror comics from like the 1940s. Whoa, that's cool. But I saw like a poster for Creep Show and it looked interesting. Yeah, so it's a it's one of those old comic books, and it had like a really big run. So it was a very influential people thing for a lot of like. People who were really into horror in like the 60s and 80s and stuff. That's when cool. they were kids. Yeah. And so the 80s, it got a movie, which is Creepshow. Um, I think a lot of the segments were written by Stephen King. Really? I know he has a cameo in it. That's cool. And there's a second Creepshow movie. And I think that was it for a while. And there's a TV show on Shutter now. That's no, so I'm not ta- I don't think I'm talking about the TV show. I'm thinking I'm talking about the movie. Okay. I saw a poster for the movie and it looks fucking crazy. The poster for the movie is just the. Oh my God, what's his name? It's not the Crypt Keeper, but it's just the Creep. Yeah, but it's cool. It looks cool. I want to watch yeah. it. Yeah. They're fun movies. Uh, they're basically anthology films. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll cover those on the podcast at some point. Uh, writer John A. Rousseau. Uh, he's the guy who wrote... Uh, well, he didn't write it, but he had, like owns the property for Return of the Living Dead. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember when we discussed about that, that like him, George A. Romero, are like the uh, two writers for this. Mm-hmm. And they kind of went separate ways after this film. Yeah. And... Uh, Rousseau got the Living Dead moniker, where Romero got to keep the, like, the Night of kind of yeah. style. That's why he did Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, instead of Dawn of the Living Dead. Is yeah, yeah. Dawn of the Dead, yeah. Uh, but Rousseau has also written Santa Claus. Oh! He directed that film. That makes sense why there are actors from both films in this. Yeah. Cool, cool. And then uh, Romero, he's also written uh, Monkey Shines. That's probably a film you don't know nope, by him. don't know that one. It's about Helper Monkey. Oh, Okay. Budget is estimated at $114,000. That's not Pretty a lot in today's money, but in 1968, no, I, a hefty sum. I think in today's money, that's like close to a million. It's pretty solid for back yeah. then. Especially making a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because basically they crowdfunded most of it. Wow, that's sick. They each put in... Basically, it was made by this company that uh, Rousseau, Romero, and a couple other guys had uh, that originally did like commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to make a movie. And each of them put in like, I think it was like two grand. And so they had like $14,000. And then they went around to a bunch of businesses and started raising more money. Uh, and that's how they were, ended up at this much larger amount. Yeah, that's really cool. Very good. Uh, country of origin, United States. I need to give you the box office because I totally forgot that. $30.2 million. God, they, they turned a massive profit on that one. Yeah. Uh, in fact, having earned... Over 250 times its budget, it was the most profitable film ever at the time of release. God bless. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's always pretty cool when you get something super low budget like that that Mm -hmm. does that good. I mean, that's why I think Terrifier 2 is so impressive. And same with the first one. Like, they made so much money with such a low budget. Yeah. And I mean, if we're using the same analogy of like 114,000 is about a million, that's about, what, 300 million? Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is a lot higher than 
you think. Mm-hmm. All right, also known as, uh, and these are all working titles that were used before it arrived at Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Monster Flick. Mm. Night of Anubis. Oh. Night of the Flesh Eaters. I think it happened in that order. I think Monster Flick is pretty rad. That's just the first one. That was their generic name for, we're making a horror movie. It has monsters in it. We're just yeah. going to call it Monster Flick for now. But it's in the same vibe as Creepshow. Like the title. You know what I mean? Like just that. Yes. But I, I don't know. It, I like that. Except Creepshow has branding. Sure. Monster Flick is just a bad placeholder name. Yeah, but I would watch something called Monster Flick. You would, but with the average audience, no. Maybe not. I'd hear a movie called Monster Flick and i go, eh. Okay. That tells me nothing about this movie. Night of Anubis tells me slightly more. I really like that one. And then Night of the Flesh Eaters is pretty decent. But it's living not bad. Living Dead, I think, emphasizes the fact that they're the living dead. Yeah. Rather than cannibals <clears throat> a little bit more. Uh, tagline, they won't stay dead. Mm. See, it's not a good tagline by today's standards, but I'm sure, but like, it, it feels good. Yeah. For being such a classic zombie movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I prefer shorter taglines like that anyways. Oh, yeah. I hate long-ass taglines that are basically just like a paragraph. Well, it's because, you know, back in the day, you did most of your advertising with like posters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it was basically the blurb for the description on the poster. Yeah. But there are some modern movies with fucking... It's like, I don't want to read this four-sentence paragraph. Yeah, it's really bad on modern stuff. But back in the day, it's more acceptable. All right. uh, Let's get into some kind of discussion points here. So you know that this film is essentially the first modern zombie film, mm-hmm. like, ever. So there was zombie films before this. White Zombie is, like, a pretty classic one. Yeah, isn't that... Um, what What country is that from? Do you know off the top of your head? America. Oh, that's an American film? Yeah. I thought it was somewhere else. White Zombie and I Walked with a Zombie. Yeah, I've heard of both of these. Both classics. And again, I believe they're American productions. I could be wrong there, but I they're set in, like, Jamaica. That's what it is. Right. They were set somewhere else. No, they're set in Haiti. Haiti, because that's where like the idea where of classic zombies come from. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the thing to note is zombies in those films are like they're traditional zombies, mm-hmm. so Haitian zombies, which are just they're like a hoodoo thing. Yeah. And the thing to note is like they're not undead flesh eating people. No. They're more like if anyone's seen the ca- the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, they're like somnambulists. They're basically like mindless sleepwalkers, kind of, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, there's a whole. I know a little bit about this because there's a whole Vice documentary on like the like origins of zombies that I've seen. Yeah, and I think those films are pretty interesting, and it's a different take, and it's kind of sad that that's a type of monster movie that disappeared. Yeah. After this, it's cool for sure. It's cool. It's just the how do I put it? It's the frustration that they kind of fused into one thing mm-hmm. when they're two distinctly different things. Yeah, and I. I think you would run into the problem nowadays if you were to make a zombie movie like that where people would go, oh, I wanted, like, Romero-style zombies. Right. Or I wanted Walking Dead-style zombies, and they'd just be disappointed, but it's it's a different thing, and that's sad because it'd be really cool to see something really well-made in that style. But you know what's very frustrating about that? What? There's no zombies in this film. There's ghouls. The monsters in this film are ghouls. They're, they're not zombies. Ghouls? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, they're called, like... The undead or whatever, but yeah. Romero refers to them as ghouls. They're not oh, zombies. Oh, very specifically ghouls. Because for him, zombies were the Haitian zombies. Wow, that's so actually really cool. It's actually a cultural thing that they combined, not a Romero thing. So when you hear someone saying Romero zombies, it's what we think of as zombies, but they're not actually zombies. Huh, I didn't know that. Fun fact. So it's that's kind cool. of frustrating that they combined, because it's like, those aren't the same thing. They were never intended to be. 
All right, so principal photography for this film uh, took place between July 1967 and January 1968, so about a year-ish, a little less. And it was mainly on location in Evans City, Pennsylvania. What is with the Maryland shooting in Pennsylvania? Is that where he's from? I don't know if that's where he's from, but that's where he worked. Huh, that's really cool. He had that commercial company. Okay. And the cast and crew consisted of the production team's friends and relatives, local stage and amateur actors, and residents from the area. Like, oh. A lot of the zombies are just people. They <laughs> put zombie makeup and That's fun, though. And stuff. I love stuff like that. Um, the film was primarily made using guerrilla filmmaking tactics and was developed through Romare's previous work on commercials and industrial film in order to lower the budget. Basically, he developed those guerrilla filming techniques doing that stuff. Hmm. Which, if you don't know, guerrilla filmmaking is this idea of making, like, ultra low budget stuff just using your environment hmm. and you can do some weird stuff with it it's like if i'm filming a scene i'm just going to use all the props that are already there That's and cool. not go and find something or it might be all right guys let's run onto this bridge and film before the p- cops can catch us because we don't have a permit <laughs> that's one of my favorite facts about that film do you clue the audience in on what film that was oh yeah so in in zombie 2 there's the really famous scene at the end of the movie where the zombies are walking across the bridge to New York. And when it's like the Brooklyn Bridge, right? It's the Brooklyn Bridge, yeah. Fulci did not have a permit <laughs> to record on the Brooklyn Bridge. So he had a bunch of people basically get in zombie makeup really fast and run up on the bridge and record it before the cops showed up to arrest him or get in trouble. Yeah. Super, super cool. And I believe that is an example of like guerrilla filmmaking techniques. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh, last fact I got before we get into it is that in 1999, the film was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant uh, by the Library of Congress and was therefore selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Hell yes. So it's in that wonderful little thing. So cool. So I got some stuff to talk about when we are done. I'm sure you do. But we can get into it now. Might be a long post because we got, I'll probably have a lot to talk about. You'll probably have a lot to talk about. I don't know. We'll have stuff to talk about, but I'm not sure how much. Okay. Just because like, I don't know how in-depth we can get on this without time to think about it. Yeah. You know? This is one of those movies where it's like, we're not professionals. We don't do this for, like, we don't do this as our job. We have a separate job, so I can't commit all of our time to it. But also, I've never seen this film before. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. So I'm just going to go, we're just going off ourselves. Well, yeah, even if we treat this seriously, our format is not great for professional review. No, this is a, basically all I'm saying is, take Ben's advice. If you want, like, something super in-depth, super complicated discussion on this, there are plenty of other people who have oh, done something. everyone has covered this. Yeah, because it's such a classic film. You, we, 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 did, we were just talking about um, The Last Driving because we were talking about Zombie 2, which yeah. is where Bob watched it. You can go watch Joe Bob. He's covered this, I think, a couple times. They even did a zombie episode last night. Yeah. Roger Ebert night, Friday. has done this film. He's covered it a couple times. He saw it when it came out in theaters. Wow, that's cool. And I, I think I've talked about him before. Very, very famous movie reviewer. Yeah. Uh, that passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but basically, everyone's covered it. So if you want something like really in depth, you can find something really in depth. Yeah, that's just not um, our style yet. We've talked about doing something like that with some really famous films, but that takes time and effort, and uh, that's something we don't have right now. Yeah. Or the time part. <laughs> yeah. The effort is there. It's just being absorbed into everything else. All right. On that note, we're gonna go to the film now. We'll be back in. A little bit for you guys. Yeah, we'll uh, see you guys in a minute. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We just finished watching Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yep. It's over. We did it. Oh, God. What a movie, Benjamin. What a movie. Yeah, it's good. 
Yeah, it's good. All right. I, I like it. I guess before we talk about it, let me just run through the description here. Because I think we have a lot to say. Yeah. And so we might as well do the description really quick. Especially because this film's old. If you don't know the premise already, I'm sorry. I'm going to spoil everything here. Yeah, it's from 1968. I think we're pretty good to give spoilers not here. Just as it, not only is it from 1968, because it's like the basis for like the modern zombie film, it's very cliche at this point. Yeah. At least in like what happens, not necessarily in tone or themes. Uh, additionally, like like I said, this is public domain, has been for a super long time. So it's in like every movie ever. So you've seen a bunch of clips from it probably without mm-hmm. realizing. Uh, you've also might have seen it on the TV randomly. I mean, it played everywhere for a long time. Yeah. Anyways, what happens is pretty simple. We start with Barbara. She's this woman, and she's going to the cemetery with her brother Johnny to visit their father's grave. And while they're placing like a, uh, it's like a cross with some flowers on it on the mm-hmm. grave, Johnny starts like making fun of her. It's where we get the classic, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah. Really famous line, uh, which is, Usually when you see this movie like clipped in another movie, it's it's the cemetery it's scene. That exact scene on yeah. TV because it's a very classic they're coming to get you and then you'll have the whatever horror movie monster come out kind of thing. But he starts joking around cuz there's another patron in the cemetery walking down the road. And lo and behold, it's the first ghoul in this movie cuz they call them ghouls very specifically in the script. That and um unidentified assassins, which I think is very funny. <laughs> it is funny. It's funny as hell. But it's a it's a ghoul walking down the road, and it attacks Barbara. Johnny beats it off, and then gets his head cracked on a tombstone. Yep. And what follows is Barbara runs away into her car. The ghoul picks up a brick and starts smashing open the window, which causes Barbara to unengage the emergency brake, roll down the road to escape, crashes into a tree. And eventually she makes her way to this house. And once she's in the house, she meets Ben, who's kind of the the main character of the film. Yeah, he's more the main character than Barbara. I wouldn't necessarily use the word main character. He's the leading man. Yeah. That's probably the best way to put it. And from this point on, it's basically him defending the house and the people that are with him. So Barbara's there, except she's catatonic the whole rest of the she film. She is, like, not there. Yeah. Basically. No, she's she's in shock. So yeah. she's a little loopy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she'll have bursts of, like, functionality. Yeah. When there's high stress situations, but mm-hmm. most of the time she's catatonic. Uh, and then there's it's revealed eventually, like halfway through the film. Yeah, a surprising amount of time, but like into the film. Uh, and I, I think it's very important to note that it's revealed right when there's a lull in the action mm-hmm. to like introduce more elements, which is a good way to do it, at least uh, timing wise. Uh, but there's some people in the basement. There's uh, the Coopers, uh, which is Harry, Helen, right? Yep. And uh, their daughter Karen, and then Judy and. Tom, right? Which mm-hmm. are two teens. And they come out of the basement and that adds some A extra helpers to help Ben fortify this place, but it's also just extra interpersonal interactions, yeah. uh very specifically the re- interactions between Harry and Ben who are antagonistic cuz Harry wants to be in charge and he wants to go down into the basement. Yeah. And Ben has the gun and he's been fortifying upstairs, so he's like I'm going to be in charge and I'm up here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be a charge up here. If you want to go into the basement, go into the basement. Uh, his Ben's whole thing is there's no doors into the basement but one. So if they break down there, you're, you're screwed. Fucked. And um, long story short, plans are initiated to escape. They go poorly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say how. Because I honestly think that's a, it's surprising. Right. Uh, but the end result here is basically everyone dies. Yep. But Ben, who manages to escape into the basement mm-hmm. and... In a very 
I don't want to say shocking, but in a twist of fate, he's proven wrong because he survives in the basement. Yep. Which is a very, I don't know, morbidly funny kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. At least ironic. I like it. Yeah. Because he, he does the one thing he doesn't want to do the whole film. And not only does he survive, but it's this moment of if they had done it to begin with, they all would have probably been okay. Yep. And um, yeah. Then there's the ending of this film, which yeah. I don't, I mean, it's old, but <sighs> do you want to do a spoiler warning? Leave it. Are you sure? Because it's probably the most important part of this film. And I think we should mention something there. We, we can talk about it. All right. So, so spoiler for the end of the spoiler film. Spoiler for the end of the film if you haven't seen it. Because this, it really is the most, I don't know, pivotal point in the entire film. Yeah. So really heads up if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's not that long. It's free everywhere. But at the end of the movie, it's revealed that like the night has passed. Basically, a bunch of uh, ghouls got into the house. Ben was hiding in the basement. Uh, but he survived the night. And we get to see a rescue party basically working its way through the area. I say rescue party. It's more of a posse mm-hmm. uh, that has been working its way from like one town to the other, just clearing out all the ghouls. Doing a good job of it. It's yeah. actually really cool to see in a film like this because they are like actually solving the issue. Yeah, it's it looks like, like organized problem solving. Like they've built a line of gunmen and they're gunning down everything. Like actually seceding at taking out the the horde of ghouls, which yeah. is refreshing. Refreshing because it's a different narrative than most zombie films mm-hmm. where it's like, "Oh, the zombies have taken over and there's nothing we can do." But the posse reaches the house that Ben's been hiding in and they're cleaning out all the zombies around it and Ben can hear them because they have dogs and he comes up out of the basement and he goes to look out the window with his gun to see, like, is it people? And the posse sees him. They go, oh, they're sighing in the window. And they shoot him right between the head or right between the eyes. Yep. And um, it cuts to the credits. And during the credits, we get to see these photo sales of them hooking him, like with meat hooks, and dragging him out and throwing him on a bonfire with all the zombies. Uh, and that's how the film ends. Really brutal way to end this film. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go ahead and say whatever you want about this film. And okay. then I have a couple things I want to talk about. Sure. Because I have at least some talking points. Yeah, if I bring up something you were talking about, just interject. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So I really like this movie, and I I said this during the film. This is the zombie film. Like, there is so much stuff that's in the beginning of this movie and in the middle that's like, oh, that's from, that's from this movie. They pulled that from this film. Like, all, tons of... It has such a classic survival horror vibe, because... I mean, it's basically a um, what is it? A castle or what? What is it called? Is it castle? Uh, like a home defense film. Yeah, it because they're stuck in the house, and it has so much stuff where I'm like, it just it's so classic that it. I I don't know how to put this. I think what you're trying to say is that you watch this film and you go, oh, I see where this trope in this other film I watched came from. Yeah, and I really like it a lot because it. I can tell that this was the first film to do it because it has sort of I can't put my finger on it at all but it has such a unique feeling to it that makes it feel like original even though I've seen it a billion times because the way they explore a lot of that stuff feels like they'd never done it before because they're stuck because they're when you look at a newer like zombie film you go oh they've done that they did this in x other movie and it feels refined in this it feels unrefined but in a good way yeah I mean there's certain things in this film that you would have seen in other horror films but Again, all the stuff that we see that's like the ghoul behavior, or as we would know it today, zombie behavior, is very unrefined because it's just coming into existence here. Yeah. And it's an interesting to see thing because they're coming from this zeitgeist of not having 
precedence both as like a writer but as like a culture inside the film of like not knowing what zombies are we had a conversation during the movie about it but like throughout the film and this is a fun time to mention this there's like news broadcasts and tv broadcasts going which i like as a instrument of storytelling because it's a a show don't tell kind of thing Mm -hmm. where instead of having a character unload dialogue you're having like all these facts of the information coming out in the background in the same way you would have uh music going interesting way to do it probably doesn't work for every film works really well in this one it's also where we hear the uh unidentified assassins bit. yeah and i think it works well on this one because they do it in a natural way where the characters also want the information so the fact that it's being delivered makes sense right and it feels like it should be happening but all like the fortification stuff's happening so you get to see something that actually matters while you're having this info dump yeah but one of the things you have that like kind of establishes the fact that there's not a cultural zeitgeist for stuff is when they're referring to these uh unidentified assassins or they eventually settle on ghouls like attacking and killing people they mention that they're murdering people, which is, like, obviously, when we look at a human killing another human, we use the term murder. But if we were writing a anything with zombies or ghouls or whatever nowadays, our automatic response is to write, like, kill. Mm-hmm. Because it's so ingrained that they're not human, so we don't have to use the term murder. Mm-hmm. And it's just little stuff like that. Yeah. Are you, are we going to talk about uh, where they think this infection comes from later? We can talk about that now. Because I think that's such a interesting yes it's so it was jarring at first because i didn't expect it so it's it's the most classic like 1940s horror movie thing ever yeah but basically they go oh by the way we were wondering it's during the news broadcast they're Mm -hmm. listening to it and it's like we have unconfirmed reports about where this infection might come from or they don't call it an infection where these random wave of murderers they, again, it's not this infection terminology we're used to for, like, zombies. And they're like, it's the Venus probe that exploded in Earth's atmosphere because NASA brought it down because it has unidentified radiation on it. Yeah. And the implication is, like, this thing from outer space is bringing all these people back to life. Yeah. And it's so classic sci-fi Absolutely. in a way you're not used to for, like, most horror films like this nowadays. Yeah. And it's also classic horror movie sci-fi logic of unknown radiation does magic. Yeah. I love it. I think it's cool. I think it's a really interesting way to do it. I don't know if this is necessarily a spoiler for you, but I I do think it's worth mentioning that, like, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead are like a trilogy of films, right? Yeah. This first film, at least for me, feels like a different timeline. Oh. If that makes sense. Okay. Just because the Dawn and Day are written kind of post-zombies. Mm, okay. And so they're more, not only are they more refined as films, because, like, Romero was bigger then, and, like, he's he's also kind of figured out what he wants to do with his zombies, uh, but more importantly, there's certain things in those films that don't line up with this one. Ah, I see. And if I remember right, like, the whole Venus radiation stuff doesn't come up again. Also, in this film, there's this kind of implication that the situation's handled, and we'll be over with in, like, what, 48 hours, you'd reckon? Yeah. The dude, they ask him, do you think you can have this handled in 24 hours? I said, he goes, maybe, we'll see. How many are there? I don't know. But it's it's pretty confident. Yeah, he's like, I can do it, though. And, in fact, you see, like, news reporters and cars just driving around the streets normally in certain cities. Mm-hmm. And, again, there's this heavy implication that, like, we're going to come out on top. And that's not in the other films. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, I guess, prepare you for that. Because it's all the same timeline, right? Canonically, at least? Canonically, it is. But I like to consider it kind of different. Okay. Like, this is, like, the proto-film of the series. 
and so there's there's still some holdovers from classic horror films that you'd get from the 50s and 40s. Yeah. Like the, the Venus stuff and the, oh, America's going to come out on top that you don't see. And that makes the film not necessarily line up well. I think it all fits the tone of this film, though. It fits the tone well. of this film. It just doesn't fit necessarily, I think, the timelines of the other films. Yeah, okay. And you'll see when you watch those. When we get there. Yeah, I just, something to bring up. Might as well bring it up now. Sure. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Yes, one more thing. Okay. Before we keep going. Before you bring up your other stuff. Mm-hmm. I I said this during the movie. I didn't I didn't know how how gross or bloody this movie was going to be because I've not seen a movie this old in this style. Like we watched The Haunting, but that is a ghost movie. Yeah. Not a monster movie mm-hmm. where like, you know, flesh-eating monsters and stuff. Yeah. So I didn't expect I didn't know what to expect in terms of blood and gore and guts. It's a lot grosser than I was expecting. But yeah. it's not I would not say overly gross. It only shows you what it needs to to make them scary. All right. In a, but I like the amount of stuff it does with that. Okay, on that note, I do have one of the things I was going to talk about is the gore in this film. Okay. So, first of all, you're talking about the difference between the haunting in this film. And I think it's important to note that the haunting would, like, culturally, it was more described as, like, a suspense or a drama film. Mm-hmm. Like, we call it horror, but it kind of was considered, like, it's in a different genre. Like, kind of the same stuff that, like, Hitchcock was making. Like, yeah. it's a suspense film, which is, like, a drama with some high tension and some horror elements. And this would have been a horror film, but it would have been like a monster horror film. And um, like all those classic monster movies you think of from the 40s, the 50s, the early 60s, that's kind of the genre this would have fallen into and what people would have thought of as like horror horror. And what's important to note about that is that was a genre for children. And so one of the really interesting things about this film when it came out is, like I said, it's not rated. Mm -hmm. And like the early audience for this film were people who would go see films like I described. Like, it's the same audience that would go see, like, something like Invaders from Outer Space. Yeah, or, or them. Creature from the Black Lagoon or something. And it, so it was mostly, like, preteens and adolescents. Hmm, okay. I mentioned Robert Ebert earlier on because I know he has a reaction to seeing this film uh, in theaters. Wow. Because it was early on in his career, and he's working for a newspaper, and he went to go see, like, one of the first screenings in theaters. And he has this really, really interesting bit about how, like, basically everyone going was 40 kids that were dropped off at the matinee to just go see a movie on a Friday, basically. Mm -hmm. And he has this really, um, I think, noteworthy quote in there where he talks about just watching a nine-year-old girl sobbing because they weren't expecting that. Yeah. And I I think it's important to note here that this film, for 68, was so insanely gory. Makes sense. Like, it, it would be the equivalent of Terrifier today. And children went to see it. And so there was a big backlash when this came out because it was just so unexpectedly violent and gory. And more importantly, it was just nihilistic as all get out. Like, people weren't going to see a film like this and expecting all the characters to die or a child to become a zombie Mm -hmm. and go on a killing spree. It's just, you know, normalized stuff now, but it sparked like a whole wave of like, I don't know, more intense horror because mm-hmm. it was so unexpected and violent. Yeah. And I think, it, it, for me at least going in, it was unexpectedly violent. Yeah. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be as gross as it was. And it, I'm not saying it's gross by today's standards, but no. it's a lot grosser than I expected going in. Yeah, and I, I just think it's important to note that it was a whole different level back in yeah. the day. Like, an insane level. No, and I the thing is, like, they don't show a lot of the kills happening on screen. Right. So you don't get to see a lot of, like, brains getting bashed but you do get to see some shit 
Yeah, and again, it was very intense for their time. I mean, they show in one scene, and I think it's probably the grossest film, like part of this film, is where the ghouls are eating like mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And they're just eating raw flesh. I believe I've heard that it is like actual raw flesh in a lot of those scenes. <laughs> Ugh. And it looks like it. It does. At the very least, they have it in their hands and are biting into it. Um, there's like some kidneys and some intestines and stuff. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. All things considered. Anything else? Nothing else. Okay. So one of the big things I want to mention, and I'm not going to talk about this too much because God forbid I'm not an expert on this, but one of the biggest like noteworthy things in this film and the fact that you haven't commented on it is so interesting, is uh, Dwayne Jones, Ben, is black. Oh, yeah. And he is a black man leading role mm-hmm. in a white people film. I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't know if it was going to be important or not. Mm-hmm. That's why you didn't bring it up. Well, no, because I was like, this movie came out in 1968, and there's a black... Like, when he came on screen, I was surprised. I was like, oh, my God, a, a black guy in yeah. 1968? It was super, That's a big deal. super controversial. And, um, you know, a lot of people read this film like... Oh, it's this civil rights thing and a bunch of other stuff. In fact, I wanted to mention the end of this film because it looks like a lynching with those yep. photos. They're done very much in a, oh, we're dragging out a black person's corpse mm-hmm. and throwing it on a fire. I almost thought they shot him just because he was black for a second. Mm-hmm. And I was like... And so that's a that's a read for a lot of people. And I think it's a totally valid read. Absolutely. Um, I do want to mention, though, that that wasn't an intentional thing on Romero's part. Ah, Like, this wasn't supposed to be like a civil rights kind of film. Mm-hmm. I think his I think his reasoning for having Dwayne Jones as the actor is much more interesting than that. It's he was just the best audition. So Romero no, he was gave, really good. Gave him the part. He was really good in this movie, which I always think is a. If you're talking about how this film's about like equal rights and everything, I think that's a much more interesting read of it. Is just he got the role because he was the best. It didn't matter if he was like a black man. Yeah, no, he film. did a really good. He just did a good job. Yeah, and he does do a, a great job. Fantastic. Um, it's it's honestly a little sad we don't get to see him in a lot of stuff. Yeah, by um, far my favorite character in the film. But I don't know if that's because of the writing. He's supposed to be a sympathetic character. It's a little bit of all three. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say sympathetic character. He's charismatic. Yeah, like I like him. He's a good leading role. But mm-hmm. yeah, he was just written to be anyone. Race didn't matter. And so a lot of the stuff that comes off as super progressive is just there because of the actor choice, which I think is super interesting. And um, like I said earlier, uh, Jones goes on to do a couple more films, but he didn't do a lot. He was mostly, Damn. I believe, a professor. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, I think he did acting, like acting to co- teaching at a college. Did he do any other horror movies? Do you know? Uh, I said, uh, what's his, what's that film called? I quoted one that he was in. Oh, um, was that Doctor Hess horror? and Ganja and Hess? Yeah, he's Ganja and Hess. That's a horror film, kinda. Okay, but maybe he's, we'll watch it because I would like to see some other stuff with him in it. He's in like three or four other films, not a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of reads you can go in with that. With that discussion that I'm not going to go into because I don't have the time or the knowledge. Fair enough. The only other thing I want to mention is kind of how these ghouls uh, build up the repertoire of like what zombies would become. Just kind of the things we see that are influences. Uh, I think one of the biggest ones is with Karen. Yeah. Where? I was expecting it the whole time. Karen is injured, we learn from the zombies. Uh, and we eventually learn she got bit. And for a modern audience, it's like, oh, she got bit by a zombie. She's yep. going to become a zombie. And I think that's pretty much where that idea comes from, because it almost seems like in the film that she got bit and the bite kills her. Yep. And so she becomes a zombie because of the bite. I think it's important to note because, like, that's probably not what happens in the film. No. She got bit and she got sick probably because it was a rotting corpse that bit her and she died and then the radiation brought her back. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's interesting to note that that's probably the origin of the idea that zombie bites spread zombie sickness. Mm -hmm. And then that's also where... Like, 
being a zombie is an infection comes from. Yep. So really cool to see. Super cool. Another thing you see in this film is tool usage. Yeah, which man. I think is so cool because it's not a thing we see with most zombies. No, I mean, it zombies. happens in Return. Yeah. But that's because that's part of the same timeline, and they probably wanted to keep it from the script. Sort of. That's written by Russo, who also wrote this film. Well, that's what I mean. He just pulled it over. Right. And I just think it's cool to see that there's things that Romero zombies do that most zombies don't. It's cool, man. And so it's the fact that even though this is like the origin of zombies as we think of them today, not everything that Romero and Russo did stuck. Because that's a really bizarre thing to see nowadays. Mm -hmm. And that's like more unique zombies do that. But that's like classic. It's so cool. Just like picking up a brick and smashing a window. We see that yeah. in the first, I don't know, five minutes. Yeah, literally using a weapon. Like flipping a car, smashing its headlights, like shit like yeah. that. It's so cool. It's cool. It also makes them much scarier because these guys much, move much slow. Scarier. Yeah, they're very slow. Which is another lead-in of how these people move. They move like the arms out, kind of the walking slowly. There's two reads on that. Either they have um, rigor mortis, mm -hmm. so they're kind of stiff and stuff. I think the reason they behave the way they do in this film, like with all that slow walking arms out, Frankenstein. Yep. I think a lot of these ghouls are based on uh, Frankenstein as a universal monster. Not only how they walk, but also the fact that <laughs> they're afraid of fire. Very afraid of fire. Stuff like that. Which I think all of that's uh, probably the cultural zeitgeist of they'd watch Frankenstein. And so when they're like, hey, random townspeople, we need you to be undead ghouls. How do you act like an undead ghoul? Well, we saw one in a movie. It was Frankenstein's monster. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big influence on these ghouls. I think it's important to note, though, that this film very specifically takes influence from something else, which is a novel. Oh. It takes very specific influence from Richard Matheson's 1954 novel, I Am Legend, which you probably know as a the movie. The Will Smith movie. Which is a Will Smith movie, which was like the third adaptation of that book. Oh, really? Official adaptation. This oh, is not shit. an official adaptation, Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, there's one way back in the day with Vincent Price that I've seen. It's it's fun. Um, oh, we should watch it. But that those that's an interesting series because it's vampires. Yeah. But the idea of like there's a bunch of them and they take over kind of stuff. Uh, that's where it gets the inspiration from. Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably some of that influence in there too. Yeah, I actually uh, really like the fact that the zombies, are, the ghouls, are afraid of fire in this because it gives people a way to fight back that isn't just killing them. Yep. And it makes for cool distractions or cool use of, like, tools and weapons. And, like, it makes... Fire becomes an important aspect of this film in a way that I did not expect, and it's really, really nice. Yeah, it's cool because it's not... So it's like a classic monster thing of, oh, monsters are afraid of fire. Yeah. But it's a very non-classic zombie thing. Mm -hmm. And like Bob said, it allows for a lot of more interesting problem solving. Because mm -hmm. you can go, I'm going to set this thing on fire, like, throw it on the ground, and then use that as a barrier to keep people away. Yeah. And plus, it comes with that cool implication that the ghouls in this film, they're like mummies, which might be why, but they're like mummies in that they catch fire really easily. They catch fire quick. They, like, each of them catches fire like they're doused in kerosene, yeah. which is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. um, which is probably why they're afraid of fire. Yeah. Um, not like real cadavers, but it's a very movie logic kind of thing, and I love mm -hmm. it. Uh, last thing I want to mention for, like, influences here, zombies, they die by getting shot in the head in this film. Yep. They even say during a news broadcast, like, hey, if you want to kill them, shoot them in the head. And, I mean, obviously, we all know zombies die from getting yep. brained. So. And the uh, I think they actually explain it sort of interestingly. They go, yeah, the radiation just restarts their brain. So if you destroy their brain, they can't move anymore. They're dead. Yeah, and so I'd like to say that's probably where that whole logic comes from. Absolutely. Where at the very least is popularized is from this film. I think that's all I want to mention for, like, zombies and how they influence stuff. Yeah. Um, so my last comment here is about the copyright stuff. Mm -hmm. We've kind of talked about that, how this is in public domain. 
Uh, I was telling you right at the beginning of the film, that wasn't intentional. They didn't make this film and go, we're going to put it in public domain so everyone can watch it. Well, yeah. Because that's really stupid. Didn't it just the copyright and stuff expire? Nope. Oh. There was a problem. Oh. Yeah. It was uh, a very frustrating. Uh, but basically, the film entered public domain in the United States uh, because the original theatric distributor, the Walter Reed Organization, failed to place a copyright indication on the prints and that was required at the time to maintain copyright. Uh, very specifically, you had to put it in the like the title sequence. Oh. So you'd have the title, and then you'd have the copyright right under it. And it didn't have that. And it didn't doesn't it. have it. It just in says Night of the Living Dead. And to make this even more frustrating is the fact that Image 10, which is the company owned by like Rousseau and the, the production companies for this film, mm-hmm. had put the copyright t- notice under the original film's title. So it, right under Night of the Flesh Eaters, which was the title before it went for distribution, oh. they put a copyright notice. They just forgot it on the new title. And because the, I guess the distributor changed the name and they didn't add a copyright thing, it was in public domain. Oh, that feels bad, man. sucks because they basically got no return on this film because you could show it for free. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Real, real, really sucks. But it's kind of like one of those lucky break things because this film straight up wouldn't have succeeded in the way it did. If it wasn't in the public domain, yeah. because like it was super controversial and stuff like that, and so it probably would have made a splash. But the reason it's so famous is because it could be played everywhere. Like if I was a a TV station and I wanted to throw on a horror movie late at night, I could play this for free. Yeah, and that's super economic, so I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And or if I'm like watching a movie and I need, or I'm I'm filming a movie and I need to put something on in the background and I want it to be a horror movie, I can throw that on. Yeah, and because of that, it really just became a big cultural thing. And it's thanks to that fact that it's in public domain. So it's kind of one of those silver lining things. So it's a double-edged sword. Good for us, yep. bad for <laughs> the people who made it. Well, bad for them in the short term. In the, the long term, yeah. it made Romero famous. Yeah. Um, he made two more movies. Come on. Oh, he made a lot more. Well, he made two more movies in this series. In this original timeline, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some late remake stuff he does, too. Oh, really? But yeah, it just made him famous, but it hurt in the short term. I mean, yeah, like, I'd never watched this movie, and I knew who he was. <laughs> yep. He's like the father of zombies. Yeah. Just who he is. All right. Well, that's all I got. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. What? I don't have anything else either. All right. Uh, so we're going to do uh, recommendations. Um, That's I, easy for me, at least. If you, <laughs> it's probably short and simple. Yeah. If you like zombies and you haven't seen this, fantastic watch. Because like I said before, you can see where a lot of the stuff in modern zombie media comes from. But it's unrefined, so it still doesn't feel derivative any in any way. It's, it feels it feels good. It's also kind of fresh because some of the things you don't see, yeah, like a fire. Yeah, some of the stuff that that's in this they don't that doesn't get carried over, so it's still good in that way. I think I like like the acting is good, but I also like the interesting interpersonal drama that happens in the film mm-hmm. because it it ha- it creates more problems than just the zombies, and that's cool. I like the way this movie plays out. There's some unexpected stuff that I didn't really expect to see. I like the end of the film because I think it fits. The the ending of the film fits the tone of the rest of the film super well because the whole film is them being like, oh man, help's not, like, they're we're fucked. It's just super nihilistic. It's super nihilistic. And if Ben had survived, I would have been like, okay, happy ending, cool. The fact that he does it and everyone dies and he ends up getting basically getting them killed by not listening to the dude that you hate the whole movie is so good. What's well, even better? It's this idea that this whole story we watch doesn't matter. Yep. It's just one. It's just a bunch of zombies and a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So good. So yeah, if any of that sounds interesting to you, go check this movie out. Um, for me, it's a lot of the same. 
you want to see a zombie film, this is kind of like the OG one. So it's different enough that it's not like super boring, mm-hmm. but it's also so early that it's not derivative, if that makes sense. Like you, you've seen it all a hundred times, but this is where it came from. Uh, if you want to see a classic like sci-fi horror film kind of thing, like 50s, 60s horror, check this out. It's very reminiscent of those early like black and white sci-fi horror films uh, you'd see. So if you like those, it's a fun watch. In a similar vein, if you just want to see like some really classic, influential horror films, this is one of them. It's probably up there with like Frankenstein and Invisible Man and stuff like that. Not as old, but you know, it's a big deal. Uh, if you want to see a Romero film, yeah, I would say is, this is the Romero, the Romero film. Yeah, for a lot of people, this is the Romero film, and for good reason. Yeah. And then you know, finally, for actual content here, if you want to see a like home defense film, yeah, I think it does a very good job of that. That focuses on like the survivors and their interactions more so than the outside threat. It does a really great job of that. And additionally, if you like that nihilistic tone, pretty good. All right. Bob, go ahead and rate it. Well, I have to. I, I have to give it a five. Yeah. You have to. Like, you don't I, have to. I don't have to, but if I didn't, I'd be selling this movie short. It. I'm giving it a five for the reasons I've already stated, but I'll, I'll say them again. It is the zombie film. Like, it is, it's everything you want in a zombie film. Like, I, there's nothing in this movie where I go, oh, that sucks, or oh, that's bad. It's like... It all just works. It all just meshes so well. And also, I think it's it maintains being interesting by giving us different perspectives outside of the home. Like, out so, of course, you get the perspective of the survivors in the house that are dealing with the zombie problem. But it shows you all kinds of news broadcasts and radio broadcasts of stuff going on outside of them that is affecting them that they are unaware of that gives you information. And I like that way to deliver this information that we otherwise wouldn't get in a film like this. Yeah. I think it's super interesting and cool. I think it being from outer space is just funny. <laughs> like, it's just, it's a cool way to do this sort of thing that I didn't really expect. There are some things that happen that I didn't expect from a movie like this because I haven't seen an older film. An older, like, monster movie, I guess. So, yeah, it was a lot grosser than I expected. I will say there's there's one very specific thing near the beginning of the film that Got me good. That was like, I was like, oh, didn't expect that. I know, you even say, I didn't expect that to get me. Yeah. So it still maintains being a classic movie while doing things that I think are cool, n- cool and new, which right. is I think would be very hard to do, at yeah. least in my mind. So yeah, I have to give it a five. I can't not. It's just so fucking cool. Yeah. I guess I'm in a similar boat where I'm going to give it a five. I mean, it just does a really good job. I think I, there's not too much to say about it that we haven't already said. Besides the fact that it like influenced the whole genre and cr- basically created it, it's more to the fact that it's just super well done on the low budget they had. They get a lot of effects that would have been really hard, like fire and explosions. So much fire. And they also get like a bunch of actors in there, which is fun. Like All the ghouls are just people. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do, to organize and have them act. In fact, I think the only issue I'd have with this film, if I was to get super nitpicky, is lighting. Yeah, there's a there are some lighting problems. but Which I think works with the feel of it. Yeah. It makes it feel more realistic. And I know the lighting issues are more to do with the fact it's on black and white film mm-hmm. rather than it being poorly shot. Aside from that, there's some goofy stuff. Like some of the acting isn't all that good. Mostly the news broadcasters and stuff. And um, there's some of the goofy stuff with the like... The probe from Venus. Yeah. But for me, all of that, for the actor stuff, it kind of feels more realistic that way. Like they're reading a a news broadcast. I think it works. Or the goofy stuff, just, I love it. It's just a part of the the appeal of this film for me. Mm -hmm. It really feels like a classic uh, monster film. And so, I don't know. I just think the film overall works really well. And there's nothing I'd really go like, oh, I'd want to change that. Exactly. I think it just jives 
really well. There's nothing that sticks out blatant to me as being bad. Yeah. I like everything that I saw, so, you know. Yeah, I think it, I think it's really good. <sighs> I don't think there's anything that I'm like takes away from that. So, going to give it a five. On that note, I guess we'll go to the outtakes. Yeah. We don't have a lot, but... No, I, that's the thing is, like, not a lot of oohs and ahs, because there wasn't a lot of... There were some surprising things, but nothing got big reactions, because it's not over the top in N- a lot not of ways. A, now, not nowadays. Not nowadays, so I was just, you know... There's some funny bits, though. There, ben makes a couple jokes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a second. Yeah, we'll see you guys in a minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the outtake section for this episode of Beware the Board. I hope you're enjoying our review of Night of the Living Dead so far. I think this movie's super fucking cool because it maintains that classic zombie feel while still being really, really unique. If you do not want any spoilers from the outtake section, please skip to 56 minutes and 4 seconds immediately. This first clip is my reaction to hearing probably the most famous line from this film for the very first time. They're coming to get you, Barbara. That's a good, that's good. Yeah, it's probably the most famous line from this whole film. This next clip is me being a little scaredy cat and Ben making fun of me again. Oh, God. Why did that get me, man? Because you're a little fraidy cat. Oh, just a bunch of fucking taxidermy heads. Very scary if you're an animal. Yeah. You know what I say about you, Bob? What? You're an animal. Thanks. You're welcome. This next clip is my reaction to some gore that was very unexpected. Surprised no one's home. Kind of crazy. Oh. That's gross looking, dude. I wonder what happened to that guy. Well, I think he died. He definitely died. But he'd been there for a while. He was, like, missing a lot of flesh and shit. Well, I don't know, Bob. There's ghouls running about. And there's a guy missing a bunch of flesh. Yeah. I think I can do the math. But if you want to take a a crack at it. This next clip is Ben acting like he's really tall again to try and trick the audience. Ben is about four foot, two inches tall. I promise. I can't tell if Ben's just really tall or if that guy's a manlet. Ben's just really tall. I think so. It just happens when you're named Ben. I I hate you. This next clip is my reaction to Karen finally turning into a zombie and doing the unthinkable. Oh my god, look, Barbara's doing something. Barbara's trying to fucking help. What a dumb bitch. (laughs) It didn't help much. Nope. Oh! Karen's eating her dad. You're my dad! Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. Not zombie child. No. Helen, you need to leave her. Helen, I'm sorry, but your child is going to eat you. You need to run. (gasps) Tools! Don't kill your mom with a fucking trowel. That's so fucking menacing, bro. Oh. That's brutal. (laughs) 
This next clip is my reaction to seeing the very end of this film for the very first time. No way. Oh. My. God. Yup. Hi everybody, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the outtakes. Ben is not that tall, I promise. I promise that I promise. Like a hulking man. <laughs> man, I'm not gonna say that. Never mind. I'll tell you after. <laughs> I almost just said something and I I don't I'll tell you after. It's fine. Never mind. Okay. Um Ben, do we have any announcements? I mean, we're we're doing two more films. So those are coming out. Monday and Wednesday. Yeah. It's dawn and then day. Which I'm so, so excited to watch. Look out for those, I guess. Just because I like this movie, I want to see what he does with more stuff later. Like, I'm very, very... I think you've said, gone on record saying to me, what is it, Dawn of the Dead is like probably... No, Day. Day of the Dead is probably one of the greatest zombie movies ever. Yeah, I mean, they're all really good. Yeah. But Day has some pretty iconic stuff in it. Yeah. Now, this is obviously the most famous one. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm excited. Day's pretty great i don't think we have anything else we need to announce trying to think if there's any holidays coming up by the time this comes out i don't think so maybe a fourth of july movie if we remember if we get that done in time but um other than that check us out on twitter at beware the board it's where i post updates about the show on mondays i post a spoiler post for that week's worth of episodes which is basically a movie cover and you can click on the hidden movie cover to reveal it and then you can see what movie it is and watch the movie before we do. So you can watch our episodes without getting any spoilers. And so when we're being vague about stuff, you kind of know what we're talking about. And then on Fridays or whatever day an episode comes out, I post a link to the episode. So if you ever miss an episode or miss an upload and are wondering when something came out, it'll be on our Twitter. So check us out on Twitter. It's where all the important updates about the show go. Yeah, it's pretty great. If you want to listen to us, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, other places. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we're also on YouTube if you want to listen to us there for some reason. Um, it's a good place to do that. It's also nice because like you can visibly support us and we can see it very easily. So uh, if you want to do that, you can like, like, comment, subscribe. It's also a great place to communicate with us, uh, kind of like a radio or a television set. Mm. Um, and you can give us all the information we might need about any, I don't know, unidentified assassins or something like that. <laughs> um, you also want to communicate uh, with us. There's Twitter. Uh, which Bob runs, so yeah. you can do that there if you want to talk to Bob specifically. Uh, I think the last thing we need to talk about is TikTok. Check us out on TikTok. You mock me every time I talk about TikTok. And <laughs> I do. I think it's very funny. I hate it. Um, we're on TikTok at Beware the Board. It's where I post like clips from the show, outtakes, extra stuff. So if you like the show and you want extra content, it's all on our TikTok. So if TikTok's your platform, check us out there. I'll post some more soon. I promise. If the, by the time this comes out, I probably will have posted some. I need to send some to Ben for review before I go, uh, you know, putting them up. So, yeah, check us out there if you want to. But I think that's our last announcement. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, I guess uh, see you guys on Wednesday. Yeah, see you then.